Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. I am here today with Lindsay McDonald, and I'm so excited to share her story with all of you. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Great. Well, for the people who are listening and can't see, Lindsay has the most beautiful office, and it's not a fake background. It's just very gorgeous with black and white and photos. So I just kind of want to paint that picture. If you want to see it, go watch this on YouTube instead. (laughs) So Lindsay, would you take us back to the beginning? Where did everything start with you? Sure. Um, It started in 2014, which was the year of my diagnosis. However, 10 years before that, I had a breast reduction. And that plays a part in this story. Okay, we'll start there. Why did you have a breast reduction? Because my I'm little and my breasts were very large. Mm-hmm. And, um, were you having back, back pain and those sorts of things? It wasn't comfortable. Yeah. Okay. So I had a breast reduction. It went beautifully. And, um, and boy, was I happy. <laughs> It was like, do you mind, there they were. Do you mind sharing what, where you were and where you went, like size-wise? Oh, I was actually, I think I was a G. No. And down to a B. Wow. That's significant. Yeah. And um, so I was like beyond. <laughs> Some days I didn't have to wear a bra, which was really, really amazing. Yeah. So, um so I had a little bit of scar tissue okay. left over in my nipple. I didn't worry about it. All the gynecologist appointments, never worried about it. He always said, if it starts to get bigger, let me know. Okay. So I felt it starting to get bigger. I went and got a mammogram that was scheduled. They didn't see anything other than scar tissue. And... um it kept growing and growing. And I called back. Visibly, the, you uh, could see it? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Another part of this story. And um, finally, after calling them to relook at the scans and everything, I'd had enough. And I went back to the gynecologist. And he said, you know what? I agree with you. And I'm going to send you to the breast surgeon. And he's going to do an ultrasound, et cetera. Good. So I, I went and I'm lying there as they're doing this ultrasound. And mind you, I had had diagnostic mammograms. I mean, this is something I'd been watching for years. Right. And they're still saying scar tissue. But then I'm on the table at the breast surgeon and everybody's eyes get very wide And they're looking at me and we're going to go call in a doctor. The doctor comes in and says, we want you to have a biopsy right this moment. Because what they were seeing 
was a very large tumor. Okay. And I went to get the biopsy and the biopsy people are like, great, it's right there. We don't even have to use a machine. And they stuck it and said to me, tomorrow we're going to call you and we suggest that you have people with you. <laughs> like with that advice. I hate those euphemisms, that, right? I just hate it. Right. Right. Why not just say to you, we think it's this, we're not sure, but you know, have some supportive people with you. I mean, come on. So sure enough, I had uh, invasive ductal and um, my friends are like, no problem. You're going to beat this. My gynecologist, uh, my oncologist, no problem. We got this. I'm like, excellent. This is 2014 now? Uh, yeah. And I had a huge family of breast cancer and colon cancer relatives. Oh, wow. So I'm sort of always expecting this. And in some ways, I was kind of relieved when they said, you've got cancer. Then I didn't have to wait for it anymore. Okay. I go through ACT, you know, a very typical treatment for that. And For people um, who don't know, though, what is that? That's adromycin, cytoxin, and taxol. And it's like, an I think it's a three-month, uh, there's four four units of the adromycin and the cytoxin, and then four units of the taxol takes about four months, three months, something like that. There's a three week period between each yeah. infusion. May I ask, why didn't they do surgery first? I'm always interested in kind of these details, like why they saw it, it was so visible. Why not take out the tumor first? What was their thinking? they would have to take off so much skin mm. that it would be very hard to keep it together. And if I ever wanted implants or anything, there would be no possibility. Got it. So they did neoadjuvant, which means before surgery. Right. Okay. I was a star during chemo. I mean, I had <laughs> no problems at all. And at the end, you know, everybody's like, yeah, we got this. We got this. There's a little piece left, but we'll get that in surgery. I go to surgery and he's like, yeah, there were actually three tumors. One was attached to your chest wall. I'm not sure we got great margins. I'm like, okay, so we're going to um, suggest you do uh, radiation I wasn't supposed to have to do it. There was nothing in my lymph nodes. And everybody's always so happy when there's nothing in your lymph nodes. Right. In the end, mine is carried through my body by blood, not lymph. But we'll get there. So I have the radiation. We're all good. Yes, everybody's cheering. How, how long did you have the radiation for? 30 days. Okay. And um, just on the one side, even though I ended up having a double mastectomy, which I was an interior designer and I didn't want to live with the disparity between the two different sides. So I had done a double, this ends up being- Okay, back up. So had you done the double mastect mastectomy yet? Before radiation or after? Uh, before radiation. Okay, so they they did that. They removed both breasts. They did right. were worried they about margins. Breasts. 
they put in implants because I wasn't supposed to have to have radiation. Oh. Turns out I do. Yes. Because what will happen is if you have radiation over an implant, it will do something called capsular contraction. Right. And my breast literally started moving up to my chin. Yeah. But I got through the radiation. We're great. They put me on a Rimidex uh, because I was already through menopause. And um, a year later, okay, nothing's been happening during this year. I'm in the Hamptons. My father had died. That's where his house was. And I feel a numbness in my chin. I'm like, that's really weird. But I had a wisdom tooth issue, maybe. My business partner said, uh, looks it up and closes her computer really fast. And she says, we'll talk about it when we get home. So on the plane, I said to her, what did it say? I looked it up myself and it says, numb chin syndrome. I'm like, my chin has a syndrome. Oh my God, okay. right? And it says an accurate predictor of metastatic breast cancer for which you will live a year. I hadn't even put in the words breast cancer. I had just put in numb chin. What? All right. What? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. What did you do when you got home? Okay. So I went at that time and I had an Oncoblot test. They don't have them anymore, but it was a test that could pick up antigens, leftover antigens in your body. Right. And sure enough, it came back as metastatic breast cancer, which I was kind of expecting because I'd been doing my research. I knew that there were cancer stem cells left behind um, even after a double mastectomy. And I, I called up my oncologist and I said, listen, we got two things going on. My oncoblot numbers said metastatic, metastatic cancer. I got a tumor marker test. It was above normal. And I have this numb chin and the Google says it's numb chin syndrome. She says, I really don't think it's anything, but come in, I'll scan you. Okay. <laughs> she comes back in three days later and she is just looking like the world has ended. And she said, yes, you're right. You have progression. And at that point, it was just an 11, 11 centimeter pancake on my skull, my dura, in my eye socket, couple of vertebrae, and my jaw. 11 centimeters like, is not small, my friend. No, it is a pancake. Yeah. And it was also in my dura, Gosh. which is the space between the skull and the brain. Oh. So... The next thing that happens is, well, yes, we're going to treat this. And there were some brand new things on the market, Ibrantz and Letrozole, two you know, very popular upcoming drugs at that time. And she says, we're going to put you on this and we'll monitor you. I said, could you monitor me in a month? She's like, well, it's kind of early. I'm like, just, just do it. So she does. And... <laughs> when I came back in for that, I now had it in every single vertebrae. I had it in my lungs. I had it in my liver. I had it in my scalpula. What? I had it in my 
sternum. So that and I'm that like, medication yeah. did not work for you at all. Not at all. So I said to her, okay, what's the next plan? And she said, we're going to put you on Zolota, which is another um, another one. Obviously, the Arimidex hadn't been working, so they took me off of that as well because it had been estrogen positive. Okay. And um, while this is occurring, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, what if it doesn't work? So I started researching other places I could go. And I called a very well-known consultant, Dr. Ralph Moss, and I spoke with him. And he said, you know, if I were you, I would go to Vienna, to a clinic there. But before that, you have to have radiation on your head because that 11, pan, that 11 centimeter pancake. So now I'm walking around with a half a head of hair of what had grown back. And my oncologist says, I'd like you to stay around for six, for, for another three months. I want to monitor you. And I'm thinking there is no way that I'm staying here for three months if that's when we're going to monitor me. Right. The consultant said, go to Vienna. And I said, great. And I went. The Viennese doctor was also willing to let me stay on the new medication they had put me on. When I was in Vienna, they did a liquid biopsy. They did a tumor biopsy, both for chemosensitivity train, uh, testing. Nice. They found things that would work, not the liquid biopsy. The liquid biopsy said nothing would work. My, my new doctor said, well, it's always the same. I'm like, no, no, take some of the tumor. And um, he said, all right. It came out completely different. There were some things that would work for me in theory. And we immediately put me onto Topo Tecan, which was actually a an ovarian cancer. And I had breast cancer. And it was an ovarian cancer treatment. So we go through that. He also does a treatment, a hypothermia treatment, where they put you in a fever for a week at 104.5. And it kills the cancer cells. They do it with uh, immunotherapy drugs. And you're also doing a, three other kinds of hyperthermia while you're there. I ended up staying three months instead of five weeks. And because um, we did it twice. I came home, my numbers had dropped tremendously. We were now on our way. That particular doctor means that you have to go back uh, every four months and do the treatment again. So I did that five times. And I'm going through Capacidian. Uh, the Zolota is working. So you're oh, on Zolota pretty... and you're going back every three months to Vienna? Four. Okay. Yeah. And you said you did that. And when you go. You said that you did that five times. And you have to stay for five weeks. So this is over the next couple of years then? The next two years. Okay. All right. Two, two and a half. And you're taking Zolota the whole um, time? I'm taking Zolota the whole time. Okay. Not, not an easy drug. Then there's another. Yeah. I Again, I was a little star pupil on that one. Who knows why? <laughs> oh, 
I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> it's really true. Um, so then I have another reoccurrence and it's a bad one. At the same time, my implants were failing. The thing was moving up to my chin. I was going to have to have them removed and do some sort of a flap surgery. When I have the reoccurrence and they take all my blood, they find out I also have leukemia, probably from all of the treatments. Yeah. So now I'm walking around with metastatic breast cancer and leukemia, and I am also starting to come up with a plan. And the plan is that I want to help people learn how to stay calm on their journeys. And I was going to seminars after seminar. I thought I was going to open a retreat for people. I ended up years later writing a book about this. We got me on a different medication. I, um, I went to Dr. Williams in uh, Mexico City. He actually injects the tumor with a couple of very strong immunotherapy drugs. I was still taking the new um the new treatment. And again, we got stable again. I've never gotten rid of it. It's always been stable. Two years later, now, where, where are I we have now? another reoccurrence. The second uh, we, are, we are in 2019 at this point. Okay. So when you say, when you say recurrence, you, you, just, you never got no evidence of disease. It's progressive. Right, it starts progressing again. Yes. So it went from stable to progression. Yes. Okay, so it was never remission. Got it. It was always just here it goes again. Okay. So after that, um, I now had the lat flap. We sent a piece of the tumor to Tempest, where they were like, "Oh my God, you have a BRCA two mutation." It had never shown up before. It was just in my tumors. It was called a somatic mutation. Interesting. Well, that changed the course of treatment. They put me on a PARP inhibitor. They put me on, um, because of the leukemia from before, I was on Spricel. There's been different side effects. I've had pleural effusions, um, you know, things like that. But I have been stable now for, since 2019. For three, oh, and I wrote a book. Yes. And I wrote a book. I've been cancer coaching for six years. I'm involved with a lot of cancer organizations. I am still full of cancer. That third reoccurrence, I now have it in my eye socket. The dura and this, this died. Uh, the head. I have it in every single vertebrae. I have it in my sternum. I have it in my scapula. I have it in my lungs. I have it too many tumors in my liver to count. I have it in my shoulder. I have it in my pelvis. I have a broken pelvis because of it. I have it in my tailbone. And that's about it. That's about it. <laughs> that's about it. What has your support system been like? Because I noticed you haven't mentioned anyone. Exactly. So when I was realizing 
that um, I didn't like the way that patients were treated. You know, their disease was treated, but their humanness wasn't. Right. I started going to a lot of seminars and I started to find my own philosophy of how to support myself in this case. I could have gone to support groups. I had gone to one. It hadn't been the right fit for me. Um, what about your personal to... support system? I don't mean support groups. I mean, who was in your life there helping you? My kids, maybe. Okay. I mean, so your I kids are grown? Really... Yeah, but I didn't really require a lot. I certainly didn't require a lot of physical help. I'm very good at retreating to my bed, staying there and not feeling like I'm missing out on anything. I'm very clear that when your body needs to heal, it needs to heal. So don't be a human doing, be a human being. And I had no problem with that. There were friends along the way, but nobody really ever was a huge support for me. I know that's strange, but I'm also a person, I'm very stoic and, So I was able to sort of stay arm's length away from this diagnosis. And I also am very good at doing projects. And because of that, I could look at this as a project and say, all right, how am I going to do this? At the same time I was going through this, I'd had an interior design business for um, 24 years And I did have a partner. So she was around while I was going through this. I guess she really would have been the one that would have seen all that I went through. Bones were broken, ribs were broken, pelvises were broken. Um, And then after I started taking the new drugs, the Lymparza and the Spreysel for the leukemia, I have been stable for 2000, since 2019. I am a well-regarded coach and author of Your Dance with Cancer. That's my book. And there is nothing I would rather do than be involved in this world and coach people because I know how I did it. I'm very good at having people find their center again. So I want to ask you a few things, Lindsay. So First of all, do you have siblings? I have a brother. Are you the oldest? I am. I knew it. (laughs) I knew it because the typical oldest child, it's taking care of other people. No matter how many siblings they have, whether it's one or five or 10 or whatever, but typically the oldest child is put into that position at some point and they're very good at taking care of other people but not necessarily letting people take care of them so that's why i wanted to ask i was curious and uh the second question i have for you was i really appreciate your attitude is phenomenal and i know it's going to inspire and has inspired so many people but if you had to go back and look what was your worst moment in all of it my worst moment was when they said you have a BRCA2 mutation. And we had looked at that five years earlier 
and having a BRCA2 mutation will change your treatment. And so I thought to myself, Jesus, did they miss it five years ago? Wow. And have I been taking the wrong medicine for five years? Now, wow. it turned out it was not in my blood. Right. It's not in my germline. It's in a tumor. So they didn't make a mistake, but we just didn't know about it. And that was my first, it really was my worst because I was angry. Boy, was I angry. I'm sure you were. Yeah. I was. I So for people out there, because I want to understand better, when they test for the BRCA2 mutation, and I understand testing the blood, but is it um, unusual to test the tumor? Like, why didn't they do that five years before? Because it's unusual to test the tumor. It is. Okay. We didn't the tumors that they took out of my breast. I mean, that's what's crazy. They, they had the tissue. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. They, and yeah. And they, I was really, um, I was just shocked, you know, and you also asked about support. I had a fantastic oncologist. Ooh. This is part of it. Yeah. And he was my friend and she really held my heart in her hands. And so when I was upset, I had easy access to her phone number Aww. to say what's going on. Oh, that's wonderful. And so the, the people that ended up being my support system were my doctors. What the the doctor in Vienna, he I was there five times. He became one of my very <laughs> close friends as my oncologist did. And so there was a there was a layer of safety that I felt in going through all of this. And I also was really clear that fear was not going to be something that I wanted to bring to the party. I really wanted to be able to regain my power and my my smarts and my curiosity and my ability to research things and my ability to connect. And um, that was that was my goal and that is what happened. What's one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning? I wish I had known, first of all, I probably had that cancer for a long time. Mm. I'm sure. So, it just wasn't being picked up by a typical mammogram. Yeah. yeah. So I should have been a little more proactive somehow because maybe I wouldn't have gotten to the point where I was metastatic, et cetera. Right. Um, I wish I knew at that first moment and the next year afterwards, how to rely on my inner knowing so that when people were coming to me with all kinds of advice, <laughs> right? That you didn't ask for, to... I'm sure. <laughs> and, and it wasn't right for me. Right. And they couldn't know what I would need. And so I learned to 
to talk to people and say, listen, what I need is for you to just to be here and, and listen to me if I need it. But for your suggestions, as much as I appreciate that you want to help, I am not the next person or the next person that's going to have exactly the same disease as exactly. me that one of those things might work for, but, um, you can't possibly know the doctors don't know what's going to work. Mm -hmm. So I am comfortable just going along this and figuring it out and having you there, but having you respect that I just need you to to see me and not see the disease. Mm. Oh, I love that. If you could do anything to improve healthcare in the US and, and one thing, let's just say one thing, what would it be and why? I would have chemosensitivity tests available right from the beginning. Oh, amen. Soapbox. Yeah, I think that's coming, right? Because we see it. It's just not affordable. It's not covered by insurance. So the average person can't do that or doesn't know about it. But I, I do think eventually that can become standard of care. I think we'll get there. There's a big hurdle yeah. with it. Um, it's actually the same hurdle as we deal with all the time when chemotherapies don't work. Sometimes chemosensitivities don't make a big difference or they don't come up with anything. Um, it has some ratio of when it doesn't work as does chemo, right. but they have chosen to focus on that and say, it's not a reliable test. And for me, once I had that chemo sensitivity test, I learned what my mutations were also. Exactly. And um, we did genetic. So any of that treatment that I had done wouldn't have solved it, whether it was Rimidex or ACT. Right, right. And the one that did solve it was a cheap chemotherapy for ovarian cancer. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I love that the specificity of that answer, by the way. I really do, because because I do think that could certainly alleviate a lot of suffering that people go through unnecessarily. Um, yeah. And also it would be, I really believe that not as many people would die from this disease if they knew early on what the right treatment was going to do for them. Oh, sure. Sure. They would, they would be able to withstand it. And, right. Are you ready to change things up and do the Thriver rapid fire? Sure. Okay. Beach desert or mountains? Oh, uh, mountains. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Curious. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? You know the song, when I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what should I be? It's an old, old yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah, I do. That's who sang that? I don't even know. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, it was it was French. I mean, it was a long time ago. <laughs> and what about the last meal you want to eat? Cheetos. What kind of Cheetos? 
the puffy ones. Because <laughs> there's puffy, there's regular, there's flaming hot. <laughs> in fact, I'd like to be buried in a casket of them. What about the last person or people you want to see? I believe I'd want to see my brother and one of my best friends. And the last words you will speak. That was really fun. And aside from Cancer you, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I also definitely want you to tell people how to get in touch with you if they want to work with you. Um, there's a, first of all, my book, but let's put that aside for a minute. Uh, there's an organization called cancerchoices.org and they have an, a huge encyclopedia site that is rated the top of, of all of these informational sites that work with integrative oncology. So it's, it's, it's what's coming. It is managing the terrain of your body. And it also has, it takes into account conventional care and gives you a lot of healing practices and people are Cancer, they have navigators. Cancerchoices.org. I don't think I know that one. So thank you. We'll make sure we add that. And yeah. how can people get in touch with you and get your book and all that good stuff? My book is on Amazon. It's called Your Dance with Cancer, Steps to Maximize Your Chance of Survival. Um, my email is lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, at Your Dance with Cancer. My Facebook page is Your Dance with Cancer. My web page is Your Dance with Cancer. So if you can remember those words, you're probably in good shape. Oh, okay. All right. I love that. I love the consistency of all that. So we'll make sure, I believe that's in your guest profile, but we'll make sure that that's all there so people can get in touch with you. And I, I just want to thank you. I mean, you clearly have such a positive, but I also feel this sort of practical attitude with how you've approached everything. Um, and it seems to have really served you well. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It was my pleasure. And thank you for picking that up, actually. Of course. It's a good way through the journey. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.